But we're going to take an unofficial survey, and whether you are in person or watching online, I want you to participate. Don't be a spectator, okay? Here is the survey. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? All right? How many of you, team chicken? Chicken came first? All right, I see a few. How many of you, team egg, the egg came first? Less of you. How many of you are like me? You don't care. You just wish they'd bring a Chick-fil-A to Yakima. Give me some Chick-fil-A. Amen to that. Christian chicken. <laughs> it's funny how those two words are connected. You know, those two words, chicken and the egg, they kind of go together, even though they're a little bit different. What are some other words that have connections? Maybe peanut butter and jelly. They go together. Uh, maybe... Uh, Raiders and losing last night, they go together. Um, uh, black and white, they go together. But how about these two words? How about these two words? Faith and works. See, faith and works. There has been a debate going on for thousands of years about which of those is the key to us being accepted by God. Is it about faith and us believing in him? Or is it about works and what we do? Fortunately, unlike the chicken and the eggs, Scripture gives us a very clear answer. That we are saved by faith alone. That is what God is looking for. He's looking for our faith. But it does not mean that these two words are not connected still in some capacity. Let me give you an example. Let's just imagine. Imagine with me. Imagine uh, you've got a dad and a child in a car, and they're going to the grocery store, all right? And, of course, a mom would, you can't have a mom in the store because a mom wouldn't do this, but the dad pulls into the parking lot and says, hey, son, I want you to go in and do the grocery shopping for me, right? You can picture a dad doing that. Sends a son in and says, I'm looking for a gallon of milk, and, and we'll just do 12 eggs, a dozen eggs, right? All right, so sends the child in, the child goes in, gets the, gets the stuff, puts it in a bag, checks out, and comes back out, and then slips on the ice, because that's the reason why the dad didn't want to go in the first place, right? The child slips on the ice, the bag goes flying up and down, falls down, the milk splatters everywhere, the eggs are splashed everywhere, and the little boy laying in the middle of the mess begins to cry a little bit. Can you picture that? And what happens is as the boy is laying there getting some tears in his eyes, some of the other shoppers come around. They're walking up and they're like, oh, you poor little boy. I feel so sorry for you. Until one lady pulls a dollar out of her pocket. And she says, I care one dollar's worth. And then she looks at everybody else and says, how much do you care? You see, it's one thing for us to say that we feel sorry for somebody but it's another thing for us to actually act on it, to actually do something about our feelings. This is where we see a connection between faith and works. Because it is faith alone that saves us, but when we have a genuine faith, it is rooted in action. It does something. Let me give you another example. I've used this example before, but I think it's good. I've got this very beautiful chair right here. It's a nice uh, wood chair. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty It's pretty solid, you know, it's pretty solid. Uh, it's got a little cushion so that when I put my backside on it, it feels a little bit better. You know, it's a good chair. Now, I can, 
I can say to you, I have faith in this chair. I love this chair. This chair is the best. And those are just words. It's not until I actually sit in the chair. I actually had to make sure it wasn't going to fall because it does fold in half. So uh, It's not until I sit in the chair that you can see my faith and say, man, he really does believe in that chair. He really has faith that that chair will hold him. Because I can say all I want while standing up here. Oh, this chair is solid. It's wonderful. But it's not until I sit in it. This month, month of January, we're, we're in a series that we're calling Bold Faith. Uh, really on this idea on how do we grow our faith? How do we grow our trust in God? So that we can have a faith that Jesus talked about in Matthew 17. When Jesus said, if we had a faith even as small as a mustard seed, which tells me that's probably hard for us to do. If we had the faith even the size of a mustard seed, Jesus said we could move mountains. That we could have a faith so strong that no matter what circumstance we faced in life, we could experience peace. In fact, as I think about this upcoming year, 2022, I think about all that we want to do in, in this year. All that we want to all we want to accomplish. We've got our goals. We've got our vision. We've got things we want to do. Let me tell you, the most important thing that you can do in 2022, the most important thing that you can do for your life, for your family, for your work, for our church, for our city, is that you would grow your faith and your trust in God deeper and greater. So last, so we're in this series. We're going to be looking at the life of Elijah, uh, the prophet Elijah. Last week, we saw God call Elisha to be a prophet. It was a neat passage. And that passage taught us that for us to have a bold faith, a bold faith comes as we trust God, even when we don't have all the details, even when we don't know how things are going to work out, that we trust God and that we're willing to burn some plows. We're willing to get rid of some things that might stand in the way of us fully trusting God. Today, Today, we're going to see uh, in the passage a connection between faith and works. That when we have a genuine faith and trust and belief in God, it results in us taking action on that faith. So here's our context today, 2 Kings chapter 3. Um, again, we said this last week that Israel, the nation of Israel, they had spent years walking away from God. They haven't walked with God in a long time. And so they suffered by having something like 19 evil kings in a row. Just bad leadership. And one of those evil kings, uh, while he was king, he went and conquered the nation of Moab. He went and, and, and defeated the, the king of Moab. And so he forced Moab, he forced that nation to pay them a large tribute of all these sheep and all this other animal stuff. And it was this large tribute that they had to, to pay. Well, as the latest king of Israel, his name is Ahab, when he dies, Moab is like, hey, we're done. We've been paying you all this money for years. We're done. We're not paying you anymore. Well, then the new king is like, wait a second. Where's, where's all my money? Like, you people were supposed to pay me, and, and that worked really well for me. And so the king of Israel, his name is Jehoram, or Joram, he says, gather me an army. You're going to stop paying me? Then I'm going to get an army, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to attack you to force you to start paying me again. And this king of Israel, he's like, hey, you know what? I could just go and gather my army, but I'm going to do something even better. So 
the king of Israel, he calls the king of Judah, whose name is Jehoshaphat. He calls his cousin and is like, hey, bro, can, I'm going to put an army together. Do you want to put an army together and go to fight with me? And Jehoshaphat is like, we're cousins. Sure, I'm in. And then they get one more king. They get the king of Edom to join. So now you've got three kings and three armies going to battle against one. Odds are in the favor of the three. It sounds like it's going to be a pretty easy battle. Sounds like this is going to be an easy thing to go in and conquer and get your money back. But here's the issue. When you look at this passage, you don't see at any point these kings are making their plans together. Not a single one of them stops to say, you know what? What would God want us to do? Maybe we should pray about this first. Maybe we should say, God, how would you like us to move forward? Nobody does that. And so these kings, they come up with their own plans and decide rather than going directly to Moab to attack Moab, they decide we're going to take a roundabout way. We're going to go through this desert and try and attack Moab from the backside. They'll never expect it. And that's where our story picks up. Verse 9. Verse 9, it says, These three kings and their armies, they make a circuitous march for seven days, which means they got lost. They're, watching, they're walking around the desert, and they get lost walking in circles. And so they make this seven-day march and they had no water for their army or for their animals. They're running out of water. You're in the middle of the desert. And so verse 10, it says the king of Israel, he freaks out a little bit. He's like, oh my gosh, see what God has done? He called us kings together to deliver us into the hands of the Moabites. We're going to die. Again, was it God that called them to do that? No, remember the kings, they didn't seek after God. But he wants to blame God. And so Jehoshaphat, verse 11 He's the king of Judah. He's a godly man. After not inquiring to God beforehand, here's what he says in verse 11. Is there no prophet of the Lord here who can inquire to the Lord for us? And one of the servants of the king of Israel said, Elisha, the son of Snapchat. I like that word easier. It's easier to say. The son of Snapchat, he's in the area, and he used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. All right, remember, we're talking about Elisha, okay? But last week, we saw that Elijah was the first prophet, and he trained Elisha to be a prophet. Now, when Elijah, when he was the prophet, he did some pretty remarkable miracles. He was a pretty cool man. And one of the miracles he did is there was a severe drought in the land, and so Elijah calls on God to send rain, and God sends a storm of a lifetime. And sends rain. And so now you've got these three kings, and they're like, hey, we have no water. We're going to die in the middle of this desert. Wait, Elisha, the assistant, he's now the prophet, and he's nearby. I bet he could help us out. Makes a little bit of sense. So verse 12 says, Jehoshaphat says, the word of the Lord is with Elisha. And the three kings, they went down to go talk to Elisha. Here's our story. Let's make sure we understand what's going on here, right? Uh, you've got these kings that chose, I'm not going to seek God's opinion. I'm just going to do what I want to do. And then they get in trouble. They get in big trouble. And then, now we'll ask God. How many of us live our life like that, right? We're not really concerned with what God wants until we're, until we're in trouble. Then, oh crap, what do I do? God, can you bill me out of the mess I'm in? 
That's kind of what's happening here. And so these kings, they hear that Elisha is nearby. And they're like, hey, Elisha, he's the new prophet. He's only been prophet for a little bit of time. But Elisha's already done some pretty cool miracles. In fact, if you look at the second half of 2 Kings chapter 2, here's the three miracles that Elisha has already done. The first one is he parted the Jordan River, just like Joshua did all those years ago. You've got the river, and he says, stop, parts the Jordan River and walks across. That's, pretty, that's a pretty cool miracle, right? And then there's another one where there's, there's a stream of water that's polluted. I don't know what's in there. Uh, something's in the water. There's a stream of water's polluted. And so Elisha speaks to the water, and the water becomes clean and healthy, like a, like a natural spring. Pretty cool miracle. And then there's a third miracle that this is Jake's favorite story in the Bible, right? Where, where the prophet Elisha, he didn't have much hair on his head. He was a little bit bald. And so there were, some, there were some middle school boys, and as Elisha's walking by, the middle school boys are like, hey, Baldy, hey, Baldy. And Elisha kind of loses it. And he calls some she-bears out of the woods to come and attack the boys. Literally, that is in the Bible. Isn't it great? Like, that's, that's Bible right there. Well, these, these kings, they're like, hey, if Elisha can do all of this, then certainly Certainly, God is with him, and maybe he can pull some strings for us. So they go after him, they seek after Elisha. And here's, here's Elisha's response in verse 13. He says to the king of Israel, he says, what do I have to do with you? What do I have to do with you? You can go to the prophets of your father and mother. He's saying essentially, hey, you don't really love God, right? Right? He's saying, you've ignored God your entire life, yet now, now you want to involve me? Now you want to involve God? Forget that. Why don't you go to the, the, the prophets of your father and mother? You know, those false prophets? Because they didn't love God either. So go to, to all their diviners and all those other people that you think are going to answer all your problems. But the king of Israel says, I know, but I think it's God's reason that we're in this mess. So verse, verse 14, Elisha says, "Is the Lord Almighty who lives before whom I stand, if it weren't for Jehoshaphat. Again, Jehoshaphat's the king of Judah, and he's a pretty godly man. He's followed after God. And so Elisha says, if it wasn't for Jehoshaphat, I would completely ignore you. But because Jehoshaphat loves the Lord, because he's feared the Lord, I will help. Verse 15 is interesting because verse 15, Elisha says, but before I do that, I want you to bring me a musician. I want you to bring me a musician. And I was reading this week and I thought, why does Elisha ask for a musician? I don't know if it was a harpist or maybe a guitar player. Maybe it was Adam playing the drums. He says, bring me a musician. Why does he do that? And I think this is the answer. Because there's something special about worshiping God through music. Am I right? I mean, that is one of the reasons why as we gather as a church, when we gather on Sunday mornings, one of the reasons why we sing when we gather, because something special happens in our heart when we sing praise and adoration and worship to God. You know, they say that music is a heart language, and worship, it orients our heart to God. And so Elisha's saying, okay, you want me to call on God. First thing you need to do is you need to play me some worship music. 
I need to be able to, to commune with God in that way. So they bring the harpist, they bring whatever it is, they play some worship music. And here's how God answers. Verse 16, and actually we're going to look at verse 16 in a couple different ways. Because there are several verses, that tra several translations, Bible translations, that translate verse 16 like this. I, meaning God, will make this dry stream bed full of pools. Basically, several translations say, verse 16 says, God's going to cause water to come and this dry valley is going to be full of water. That's true. That is, that is absolutely true. God is going to send the rain. Like, like, we can have faith that we're in the middle of the mess. God's going to do the heavy lifting. That is true. In fact, verse 17 kind of continues on that and says, you're not going to see any wind or rain because it's not going to come from there. God is going to cause the stream bed to be full of water. There's going to be enough water for the army and the animals to drink. And verse 18 says, it is an easy thing in the sight of God to do this. All right? And so... Those translations look and say, listen, God is a source of the miracle. There's going to be this water that comes. It all comes from God. And we can believe that by faith. However, there's a few other translations that translate verse 16 a little bit differently. While those translations focus on what God's going to do, the CSB, the King James, the NESB, they change the focus of verse 16. And rather than focusing on, jobs, on God's job, which is to bring the water, they focus on our responsibility, humans' responsibility. So here's what it says in verse 16 in these other translations. It says, this is what the Lord says, dig ditch after ditch. Make this valley full of ditches. Make this valley full of trenches. Yes, God's going to send the rain. Yes, God's going to do it but he wants the people to dig some ditches. Almost as if digging the ditches is preparing for the miracle that God is going to do. Here's what I want you to do. In the margin of your Bible, if you're one of those people that write in the Bible, I love doing that, you might, next to verse 16, you might write James chapter 2, verse 26. Because James 2, 26 says this. It says, Just as a body without the spirit is dead, Faith without works is dead. And what that means, listen, only God can send the water. Only God can, can do that. But sometimes God wants to see our faith. I mean, we would all agree. Like, God doesn't need the army to dig ditches. God could cause water to come everywhere. He could cause it. I mean, God is, doesn't lack any power. He doesn't need any help. But I think God loves to see our faith faith. I think God loves to see our faith. In fact, in fact, one of the phrases you see in the New Testament, when you look at the life of Jesus, when you look at the Gospels, you see this phrase again and again and again, and it's repeated. It says, Jesus saw their faith. Jesus saw the faith of the people. How do you think Jesus saw their faith? Is it because they had like smoke coming out of their ears? Is it because they, were, they glowed and, you know, they were made of gold or something? No, you see faith through action. Faith is seen through action. In fact, just look at these stories from the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 14, Peter and the other disciples, they're, they're on a boat. And they see Jesus walking on the water. And they're kind of 
It's kind of a freaky thing. Anybody else seen anybody walk on water? And they see Jesus walking on the water, and Peter's afraid, and, and he says, Jesus, if that's you, then tell me to come. And what does Jesus say? He says, come. And what does Peter do? He steps out of the boat in action. And you see Peter's faith as he steps out of the boat onto the water. The other disciples in the boat, the other 11 guys, you don't see their faith because they're in the boat. But you see the faith of Peter. See, I think there are times that God wants us to participate. He wants us to participate in his miracle. He's still the source of it, but he invites us to be a part of it. In Matthew chapter 12, there's a man with a, with a shriveled hand. There's a man with a shriveled hand. And Jesus is going to heal the man. But what he, Jesus says is, stretch out your hand. There's this idea that you've got to do your part. I'm going to heal you, but you've got to stretch out your hand. In, in John chapter 5, Jesus came across a man that had been paralyzed for a very long time. And remember Jesus says to him? Jesus says, pick up your mat and walk. Jesus is going to heal him, but he's not going to pick him up. The man actually has to get himself up. And there's this idea where, where, where faith and works are going together. If you believe what Jesus just said, pick up your mat and walk, I'm going to heal you, then you've got to take the step of actually getting up. Uh, John chapter 9, there's a man that had been blind from, from birth. Remember that story? Jesus comes and he spits in the dirt and makes some mud and puts, wipes mud in the guy's eye. Aren't you glad that's not the way we have to heal nowadays? It's gross. But Jesus puts mud in the guy's eye and he says, I want you to go and I want you to wash in the pool of Siloam. Listen, the miracle wasn't because of the mud. The miracle wasn't because he washed in the pool. The miracle was Jesus healed him. But he also said, I want to see your faith. And so to see your faith, I want you to go wash in this pool. The miracle was a result of God. And here's Jesus saying, I'll do my part, and I want you to show me your faith. And so when we look at verse 16, and we have these different translations, one translation that focuses on what God's going to do, and the other translation that focuses on what God asks of the people, I think both these translations are absolutely correct. Both are accurate. One says, here's what God's going to do. And the other says, here's what God is asking us to do. Yes, God's going to send the rain. It's an easy thing for him to do. But at the same time, God wants us to dig some ditches. As I think about this series that we're in for the next couple of weeks, talking about bold faith. As I think about us being the people of God. And again, I, I can't speak for you. But I can speak for me and my life and my family and my desire for our community. Like, I want to see some mountains moved. I want to see God do some amazing things this year. I want to see some broken people healed. I want to see some marriages redeemed. I want to see some of this. And this story is teaching us the bold mountain-moving faith is an act of faith. That if we want to see God do these big, bold, mountain-moving things, we have to be willing to take action. 
to, to, to dig ditches. Let me tell you, let me explain this one more way. Imagine, imagine I'm in a rowboat. I got a rowboat, right? And I've got two oars. Okay, one oar, I'm going to write on the oar, faith. And the other oar, I'm going to write, works. See, if I'm in this boat, and all I do is, all I do is I point to, to faith over and over and over. And I just, all about faith, all about faith. What happens when I row with just one oar? I go in a circle. I'm not going anywhere. Well, if, if faith isn't working, then maybe I should try works. And so I just start rowing with works. And what happens when I row with just works? I go in a circle in the other direction. But what happens when we put our faith and works together? That is where we see progress. That is where we see God move mountains. That when our faith and works go together, that is when we see the miracle of God. Now let me be clear. Let me be clear. It is faith and trust alone that God is looking for from us. That is what God wants. God doesn't demand this great obedience. He doesn't demand that we be perfect in anything. In fact, I know that there are some listening, and that's what you heard growing up. You heard, hey, you've got to do all these things to make God proud of you. You've got to do all these things, and God will accept you. Listen, I'm sorry you heard that, because that's not truth. That's not what Scripture says. That's not how God works. Because it is impossible for any of us to be good enough. In fact, this is what makes Christianity different than every other religion in the world. Because religion says, religion says, you've got to do all these things, and then God will accept you. You've got to be a good person, and then God will say, okay, you get to go to heaven now because you're a good person. That's what religion says. But you know what Christianity says? Christianity has nothing to do with works. It has everything to do with us putting our faith in God and what he has done for us. See, none of us can ever be good enough. None of us would ever be good enough. And because of that, because God loved us so much, he sent his son, Jesus, onto the earth to become one of us. That God became a man. He lived a perfect life, a life that you and I can't live. No matter how hard we try, we'll never go without sin. Yet Jesus did. He lived the perfect life. And then he goes to the cross. And on the cross, he takes our sin upon himself. So every time we lie, every time we steal, every time we give a dirty look to somebody, every time we do these things, he takes that sin upon himself and pays the penalty for that. And then he dies and is buried in the grave, and is resurrected from the grave, defeating Satan and sin and death and hell. And what God is looking for is that we would put our faith in him and what he's done for us, because he went to incredible costs. He went to an incredible cost so that we could be made right with God. He is looking for our faith and trust in what he's done for us. And I want you... Listen, I want you to have a faith and a belief that God is that big, that God is that loving, that God loves you just as you are. You don't have to clean your life up. Listen, God gave a ton for you. 
for you, to, to show you his love. And I want you to believe that no matter what you are facing, no matter what your greatest need is, no matter what burden you have to carry, I want you to know, and I want you to have the faith and trust that God is able, that God cares, that whatever circumstance you're going through, God has a power to redeem, to fix, to heal, to, to whatever it happens to be. I want you to have the faith that God is strong enough and powerful enough. But I also want you to know that it's not enough for us just to claim that we believe, to claim that we have faith. If we're going to have faith, that means we have to show our faith. We have to have an active faith. Right? I mean, as we think about this year and maybe all we want to accomplish, our goals, maybe we're trying to overcome some issues, maybe we're trying to do this or that, I want you to know that God is for you. And I hope you are ready to take some action towards whatever it is you want to accomplish. Let me ask you this question. As you think about what you want to see and how you feel God leading you right now, where is it that you need to start digging some ditches? Where is it that you need to start showing your faith and putting your faith into action? I know there are some of us who are struggling in life. Maybe, maybe it's a bad habit. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe we're dealing with the consequences of some poor choices. You know what happens? Like, like maybe, maybe it's smoking. Or, or, or maybe, maybe you've been drinking too much. Or maybe it's an addiction to social media. What a horrible thing to be addicted to. Terrible. Listen, I believe that God can help you with that. I believe that God can set you free from those things. But guess what? That might mean you need to throw your cigarettes into the trash. That might mean you need to take the alcohol and dump it down the drain. That might mean you need to get rid of the darn social media off your phone. Right? God will help you with it, but that's digging a ditch. That is putting your faith into action. Say, I believe, God, you can do this, and I'm going to do my part. Where do you need to start digging some ditches and put your faith into action this year? In fact, oftentimes I talk with parents. And parents always say, you know what? I want my kids. I want my kids to love Jesus. I want my kids to, to, to love the church and to serve the church. I, I want my kids to have a strong Christian faith. But it's funny because those same parents, it's funny how church isn't a priority. It's funny how those parents don't open their Bible at home. Those parents don't pray with their kids. You know, I, I believe, I totally believe that God can redeem our parenting. I believe that. But if you want water, what do you have to do? You got to dig a ditch. And if you want your kids to love Jesus, it means you got to start digging some ditches. You got to start being a godly parent, you've got to start taking your kids to church. You've got to talk about the gospel at your home. You've got to dig a ditch and trust God to, to work through that. Where do you need to start digging some ditches and putting your faith into action? Some of us in this season of life, we're suffering from isolation. We're suffering from loneliness. We're suffering because we're trying to, to battle some things all alone. You know what you got to do? 
It's time to start digging a ditch. Engage in community. Again, this is why it's so appropriate for us to talk about joining a life group today. Because some of us are saying, some of us are in that season, we're like, hey man, I've been trying to do this all on my own and I just feel like I, I don't know what I'm doing. I need some mentors. Listen, this is a time to dig a ditch and get into community, to get around some other people, to walk alongside you, to, to build some relationships. Put your faith into action. Where do you need to start digging a ditch? In the beginning of the year, people are always talking about money. I want to I improve my financial situation. Listen, money is a thing. You cannot survive in this world without money. But I always find it so interesting. We're, 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 a Christian would say, you know, I want to get my financial portfolio all in place. I, I want to I, I figure out how to make a little bit more money. But it's so surprising to see how many people don't actually tithe. See, there's this, in Scripture, there's this principle that, that God gives us that's actually, it's a ridiculous principle. Where he says that when you give to God first, that God blesses all the rest. God says, test me in this. And it's this crazy thing, it's this crazy thing because in the kingdom of God, somehow God supernaturally takes that 90% that we have left over and he can do more with that 90% than we could ever do with a full 100%. It is crazy, but it's true. You know what tithing is? Tithing is us digging a ditch, putting our faith into action. Okay, God, I believe you. I have faith and I trust you. Listen, this morning, I want you, I want you to have faith to know that only God can send the water. I want you to have that faith that God can do it. But I want you to begin to digging, start digging some ditches because God loves when we participate with him in his miracles because he gets to see our faith. He gets to see our faith. Remember what James says, faith without works is what? It's dead. In fact, I love this. Verse 20, the end of this passage. It says, the next morning, about the time for the offering of the sacrifice, this is after they've dug their ditches. After they dug the ditches, it says, water came from the direction of Edom and filled, and the country was filled with water. After they dug the ditch, prepared for the miracle. God shows up and does what only he can do. I close with a quote that I read this past week. It says, every time a man implements a new idea, he finds 10 people who thought of it before he did. The trouble is, they only thought of it. See, I think the difference the difference between people who see mountains moved in their lives, in their families, in their churches. It's not a matter of whether God is able. God is able. The question is, are we willing to dig some ditches? Are we willing to put some action to our faith, to show our faith is real? As I think about what, I want to, what we want to see God do this year, Listen, God is able. God is faithful. God is powerful. God can redeem anything in your life. The question
question is, will you put some action to your faith? Let's pray.